0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the One Control Horde Podcast, episode 157. I'm Biju Yoder, here to talk to you today about video games, and uh, this episode's gonna be a little weird. Um, So, I'm kind of mixing up the order this week for for a variety of reasons. Uh, Well, really, the main reason being is uh, I went ahead and played through all of Xenoblade Chronicles Future Connected, but um, I will at some point in that conversation dip into some spoilers about Xenoblade Chronicles 2. And uh, and future connected, and probably original Xenoblade Chronicles as well. So I'm gonna save that part for the very end of the uh, the podcast. Um, you know, you don't need turned off as soon as I start talking about Xenoblade Chronicles. I'll definitely let you know uh, when when I'll be getting into the spoiler territory. But uh, I figured we'd save that for the end. So so to kind of do this in weird reverse order. Um, just to kind of give you a couple of updates on on the upcoming big projects. Um, obviously, I had the backwards compatibility video that came out last week for the PlayStation 2. Uh, that actually, like, I got a pretty decent response for that, considering the small number of views it got. So, I'm pretty happy about that. If you haven't watched it yet, uh, please go check it out, I guess. <laughs> Thankfully, it came together pretty well for being, you know, a, a video I basically slapped together in 48 hours. Um, and, and I'm pretty happy with it overall. So, I might try to do more... Or take some of my more research oriented stuff, I guess, if you want to call it research. It's the easiest way to sum it up. Whether it's research or not, it's a whole other thing. But um, but just like info bits that I kind of spend time looking into and try to make those into videos maybe more often. Um, We'll see if that actually happens. And and mentioning that, I talked last week about some Disaster Day of Crisis stuff. Um, And I did a little bit more searching about the Disaster Day of Crisis stuff this weekend and found that uh, Did You Know Gaming actually did a pretty good video on uh, kind of what led up to that disaster day of crisis, it maybe doesn't have as much detail as I would like, and if I were to make that video, uh, I, I think I would have had had a little bit more lead up narrative to to what led to disaster day of crisis. Um, but but I think it overall does a good job of explaining kind of the the, the development difficulties that game had and and all that stuff. Um, so I think I will still possibly do something disaster related at some point, specifically around kind of the localization changes. Um, nothing too fancy, but, but I think that will be a, an easier video to do be more focused and it will make it. So I'm not like basically recovering ground of what did, you know, gaming did basically. Um, so, so yeah. And I think what I would want to say about disaster day of crisis that did, you know, gaming didn't say maybe is a greater conversation about Mollus off in general, rather than something specific to that game. So, So, yeah, and then also um, this weekend, I recorded the PCFX podcast. So, I'm going to go ahead and start editing that and try to get that pulled together. Uh, One thing I'm going to try to do with that podcast is I'm going to try to have gameplay alongside the YouTube version um, so you can see what those games look like as we talk about them. Uh, I haven't actually started that editing process yet, so I'm not sure what challenges I might face uh, in that and and if there will be any trouble with including video, uh, but I'll definitely let you know uh as things come along. So that's the project updates. Uh also I'm streaming Disaster Day of Crisis, by the way, every Thursday at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Um, so if you want to come check out me playing the European version of Disaster Day of Crisis, uh then then you can come do that. It's a fun, fun little thing. Anyways, the other kind of weird bit about this week is that this was going to be the week that we were gonna talk about uh the PlayStation 5 event that was uh was gonna or was supposed to happen I think on, on Thursday. Uh, or I guess last Thursday, when by the time you're hearing this, and um, and that did not happen, uh, mainly because of uh, they ended up delaying it because of the whole uh, Black Lives Matter stuff and the protests going on um, throughout the United States. Uh, and so it's it's kind of interesting. One thing I wanted to talk a little bit about this with is kind of um, video game company roles in in situations where where they want to show like community support and stuff like that and i'm not saying this is as, as like as a good or a bad thing in in this case um uh what's kind of interesting is you you kind of have this thing where it's like sony comes out and they say we know other people's voices matter more than the playstation voice or playstation voice at this time totally understandable of of that perspective and why they would take it um but like we kind of have is this these two different dynamics to that where it's like on one side, um, you know, I think there's probably very good people at Sony who are like, you know, this is the the um, the, the message we want to send while while this stuff is happening, and we want to we want to do our part and uh and displaying this message. Uh, then you also have kind of the other side of it where um you know you really probably don't want to be talking about the PlayStation 5 in the environment of this week. Um, um there's a lot of big stuff going on and and you know you're you're whether you know that paints your console announcement poorly or whether that just means that less people are looking at your console announcement, there is incentive to to not do that. Um, and so you kind of have these two different things where it's like, well, yes, uh, it's like Sony showing their support, but also it's kind of negative for them to, to do what the standard plan that they would be doing if they were to continue like ship going forward kind of thing. Uh, EA had an event too, and they, they delayed it. So I think Sony has not rescheduled their event, but, uh, but EA has rescheduled their event until June 18th. Um, but what's kind of interesting and, and. Obviously, for this PlayStation announcement, you know, they publicly announced this event, so they had to come up and say something about it. Um, One other thing that I thought was interesting um, a long time ago was during, I think it was the Sendai Earthquakes in Japan, I think it was 2011, um, Nintendo actually sent out uh, DSs to uh, people who were affected by the earthquake, and they included, uh, or DS. IXLs, I think, if I recall correctly, and they included um, a TV tuner, and that was kind of their like their like support package uh to some extent to to people who um I don't know the right word. It's like not like they no longer have a home, you know, um like they they are stranded or or something or or evacuated, so they're they're being you know they're they're waiting somewhere where they don't have access to the normal amenities they they would have. uh And what was kind of fascinating about this particular uh, instance was. This happened, and it wasn't until somebody had posted it on social media that it was reported on. Um, and then so somebody actually asked Nintendo about it uh, at their financials, and Nintendo was like, "We don't want we don't want to make this a PR move to show we're showing support for you know earthquake things happening and things like that. Uh, we just want to help people." And we want to keep like the purity of that help. And so like the only reason this even got out there is because somebody was posting about it on Twitter or Facebook. I don't remember what it was. Um, there's actually a Tiny Cartridge article that I'll, I'll link about it. And I, I think there might be um, – it's like this yellow DS. And I, and I think there might be something somewhat unique to it. I can't recall exactly what – Um, But yeah, it was just like it was an interesting thing of just them being like very much actively avoiding that like, hey, we're trying to help out, but we don't want to use this situation as a way to be like, hey, we're Nintendo. Look how good we're doing. Um, But again, like with the PlayStation event, that's a very public event. So if you're going to make that decision, you know, if you just ignore the fact that you made like that you had scheduled this event, people are just gonna be like, what? (laughs) So so you have to say that. So so anyways, I don't know when that PlayStation event's going to be showing up. I would assume probably late June. Um, I think it largely probably depends on kind of how things progress going forward, but yeah, I just kind of thought that was an interesting thing to to talk about, like kind of that, that perception people like companies have when they make, when they make decisions that are, that are, are quote for the public good, but they also have other reasons that they could be making those decisions too. So, uh, one event that did happen was there was um some kind of like indie games event uh, that was going on. I don't have the name in front of me, honestly. But the only thing I really pulled from it was uh, Gunvolt Two got announced for PC finally. Uh, there's I think there's only been Gunvolt One on PC as well as Luminous Avenger G or whatever it's pronounced as. Um, so it's cool that that's finally coming to Steam. Um, cause I, I, I like Gunvolt Two. I think Gunvolt Two is maybe. Maybe the most well-rounded game of of the Gunvault series so far. Uh, I think there are things I like about Luminous Avenger, maybe more. Um, um, overall, but I think Gunvolt 2 is like a, a really good one to, to, like, if you're only going to play one of them, I think Gunvolt 2 is a good one to play with the exception of, you know, obviously if you want to get the story, uh, you're going to be missing some stuff from Gunvolt 1. Uh, but, but if you're looking for just like a pure gameplay experience, Gunvolt 2 has like a great variety between, uh, uh, uh Gunvolt being in that game and Copen being in that game. They both are kind of built around the same design philosophy, but control in very different ways. Um, and one other game I saw, and I, I'm not sure if this has been announced for a while or not. Uh, there's a game called Kogan that's coming to Switch, PS4, and uh, and Steam, and it, it has like a it's it's made in Unity, and it has Unity Chan as the main character. Uh, but aesthetically, it's not like a it's not like the pre made Unity 3D model though for Unity Chan. It's like a sprite. Um, I assume there's not just like an open source sprite for Unity Chan. I don't know. Um, but anyways. Um, and this game actually looks kind of Gunvolt-ish in some ways. Uh, aesthetically, it reminds me a lot of Gunvolt. Um, but what's cool about it is that it actually is a melee-focused game. So it has uh, some mechanics built around slowing down time and, and being able to reflect projectiles with your sword, things like that. And it does seem like there's a, a level of, like, kind of momentum melee action the game's focused on. Uh, I think the, the kind of re- uh, its actually not slow down time, it's rewind time. Um so I think I think this is a pretty cool looking game and it it kind of you know it's not an indie game so so I don't really have the confidence it will feel as good as as a character made by indie if you don't know I really value indie crates' like character design in games I think you know not from aesthetics but like from a mechanical uh design um, I really value how they build their characters out. And, uh, and so, you know, being a different developer, I don't really have the confidence that's, that will, this will fulfill that, what I would want from, from something like this. Um, but it is an interesting thing to see because um, one of the things I really wanted from uh, Luminous Avengers G, that's the last Gunvolt game that came out, um, is that there is a side character in that game who is a uh, sword-based and And they kind of come off as they're they're an important character that that story and they and they kind of come off as i guess a melee attack parallel to another character in that game um but you don't actually play them it's just like what their design philosophy says about them in terms of like what their attacks are and things like that as a as a boss character essentially and i I'm really hoping that character um comes back. Uh, at some point as a playable character. And so seeing this game do actually kind of what I want <laughs> any crates to do with Gunvolt going forward, a melee focused character that's built around, uh, uh, movement, that's actually pretty cool. So I might, I might give this game a look. I think it's, uh, only announced for 2020 in general right now. So there's not like a full announcement for it hopefully I remember this game a lot of games kind of come and go and I just kind of forget about them so we'll see I'll, I'll definitely keep an eye out for it if I see any screenshots pop up again about it or any additional trailers I might follow the uh the developer on YouTube as well um so yeah I thought those were, were pretty cool um the only other thing to talk about was you know that we had those Sega announcements that were supposedly supposed to happen, and i always say like things like that like when sega's like we got a big announcement coming up or or somebody leaks sega's got a big announcement coming up um <laughs> i'm always skeptical when people start like uh, dreaming big on on what that is you know i try to keep my expectations in check so it's like okay sega is gonna announce a sonic game or something you know at, at best maybe um, and, and I'm probably right in the, in the sense that essentially what they announced was something called like fog gaming, where they have like an arcade, uh, stream thing. And, and, and I'm not hundred percent sure of the details of it. I, I thought based off what I did read about it, it kind of sounded like you could stream arcade games to your home after, after hours. Which actually would be pretty cool. I mean, obviously for America that wouldn't work because you know I'm guessing this is a Japan exclusive setup that they're trying to do. I mean, if they offer it in the U.S., cool. But you know, obviously trying to stream from Japan, uh, arcade in Japan to the U.S. would uh, probably be as 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 good of an experience as streaming Dragon Quest X or or a uh, uh, Fancy Star Online two to a, a, a platform here in the US. So, so it's definitely not something that you really want to do. I'm, I'm not sure if anybody has ever, like I don't know what the requirements would be to even like set up a, a reliable enough connection to stream a game from Japan to the U.S. I S I don't know if that's physically capable <laughs> of being a, a reliable way to play a game, but if they do something locally, that'd be cool. I just don't really think of it again. I didn't read a ton about it. So maybe I'm completely off of what that was. Uh, if you're like, Oh, that sounds really exciting. I hope this comes one day. maybe do some research. Maybe I should have done some research before I did this podcast, whatever. This is actually just kind of a tiny bullet point on this list. I was not meaning to talk about this this much. Uh, What I really was going to talk about was the Game Gear Micros. I think this is what uh, kind of when most people outside of Japan were excited about. I actually have no idea what the interest about Fog Gaming is in Japan. But anyways, um, or uh, Sega's Fog Gaming, which is just cloud gaming stuff. (laughs) Um, uh, But those little Game Gear Micros you haven't seen, there's basically these tiny Game Gears that um, Sega is going to be selling. And they are functional and they are tiny, like smaller than a Game Boy Micro. Um, but they look really cute and they look really cool. There's four different colors that basically have four games on each of them. Uh, the first one seems like a, a mix of stuff with, uh, with like a Sonic game, uh, Gunstar Heroes, uh, Tail. I don't even know what Tail is. Some puzzle game as well. Um, and, and I think the, the yellow game gear is kind of meant to be kind of the RPG system. It has a bunch of Shining Force games on it, actually, as well as some, uh, I forget what that series is called. The, the series that the Puyo Puyo came out of. Motokatari or something like that Motokatari I don't I don't remember if that's the name of it uh but there's like a, her with like like cooking curry or something on the on the case of that I literally don't know what that is <laughs> um but yeah it's just like a mix of stuff on these little things and I think it's a really cute idea I think it's a really cool accessory and I think the people who are collectors will really really love this stuff I personally would definitely not really play this this way um um it's just not really for me Uh, but I think it's a really cute thing and a really cool thing. And I'm, I'm glad they're, they're putting it out. I think it's like about 50 bucks for each of them. So it's not that expensive either. I mean, it's not cheap, but you know, for what it is, it's, it's, it's for the novelty of it. I think it's, it's, it's worth it. Um, or like, it's it's cool that they're doing it. Um, I think if I were to spend any money on game gear stuff at this point, my focus would be on getting the game gears I have, uh, with video out support so I can play them on a TV. And then play, you know, play actual games on cartridges because that's the type of person I am. And it, I waste a lot of money on that kind of stuff. (laughs) So, so yeah. And that's kind of it for news. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and start talking about Xenoblade Chronicles uh, Future Connected. Like I said earlier, I'm not going to jump right into spoilers here. Um, I mean, obviously with Future Connected, it does take place after the game. So there might be some light, light stuff, but, but I'm not going to get into like deep spoilers. Um, until there's a particular thing I want to talk about, which I have kind of talked about before, but I think I want to talk about it more directly. Uh, but yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles Future Connect. If you don't know, it's a extra bit of content that they added to the Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition port that's coming to the, or that came to the Nintendo Switch. So basically on that cartridge, you have the full Xenoblade Chronicles game, you know, uh, however you want to categorize it, remastered, HD remake, whatever you want to call it. Um it's it's a it's basically the original game with some updated models, some updated graphics, um, and then some quality of life changes as well. Um so so the Future Connected content is basically like an extra story that's put on that takes place a year after uh uh the end of Xenoblade Chronicles. Um and and my expectations for this were maybe a little higher than they should have been. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 had downloadable content for uh that was called Torn of the Golden Country. And this downloadable content actually ended up being kind of its own standalone game in a lot of ways. It is very heavily based on Xenoblade Chronicles 2. It was very standalone. Um, it, it, it stood out as its own game and it had its own unique mechanics and it had its own onboarding process and things like that, um, which was very cool. Um, Xenoblade Chronicles Future Connected, the add-on content for, for Xenoblade Chronicles Minute edition is not that. Um, it is very much additional content for that original game um basically starts you out at level 60 that's kind of the end game level range i think i was level like 70 to 80 when i beat Xenoblade chronicles originally but that's kind of the end game level range so basically just starts you out with uh with uh four characters in the end game level range so you have a shulk uh, melia and then you have two nopon You have Nene and Kino, and they're essentially just, uh, play like Sharla and Ryan. If you don't know, Sharla is kind of the healer of the group and, uh, is kind of the tank of the group. So they're your healer and tank characters where, uh, Shulk and, uh, Melia are a bit more flexible as characters, uh, but they are very much just based off the original game. Uh, So I pretty much spent all my time with Melia because I actually really didn't play a lot of Melia in the original Xenoblade Chronicles. Every character kind of has its own unique mechanics, which is really cool. Um, It makes it really fun to jump between different characters. Like I would never recommend you play that game just as Shulk the whole way through. That's, like, a recipe for, like, boredom, in my opinion. So you kind of can jump between characters. And so Melia was one I spent the least amount of time with. So I had a, a pretty good time kind of learning the mechanics of her character. Um, it's nothing new, again, but it's just I never spent the time to, to, to learn those things. Um, and it's basically just one area uh, in the game. Um, the the story kind of picks up where Melia's story left off. She, she didn't really have a... Um, a great conclusion at the end of the Xenoblade Chronicles. I won't say that's a quality issue so much as a, uh, her character was just kind of left in a place that was not very hopeful for her. <laughs> I don't know if hopefuls are the word, but we'll, well, I might talk a little bit in one of the spoilers uh, section, but yeah. So basically this, this story is to kind of give her uh, a place and go go a uh, place in the story at the end, and and give her more direction on what her future is after uh, Xenoblade Chronicles One. And what ultimately you end up with is uh, you kind of just end up with more Xenoblade Chronicles. Uh, it's if you like Xenoblade Chronicles, it's 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 more of that. It's the same gameplay mechanics it's uh you know lots of fetch quests kind of quest stuff uh there's some heart to heart conversations between the characters you get to learn a bit more the two nopons are actually um kids of the character or the nopon from the main story ricky so you get to learn more about ricky's family life and things like that something that is kind of touched on in the um original xeno saga or xeno blade rather um but is not really fully detailed so even though ricky isn't in this game um or this add-on content Um, he, he, he's kind of the secondary character in this game, uh, in terms of like learning about him through his children, really. Uh, Shulk is just kind of (laughs) there. There's nothing really, I mean, Shulk got his limelight at the end of Xenoblade Chronicles 1, so he doesn't need to really be involved in anything. He's just kind of there for the ride. Um, you know, he's the main character. You got to have him along. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of that. Uh, I will say that the number of hours that uh, uh, Monolith Soft said the game, the add-on content was, seemed a little inflated. I think their original uh, pitch was that it was going to be 12 hours for the main story and then about 20 hours to complete all the side content. And admittedly, I'm not going to sit there and say I 100% did absolutely everything. Um, but I did the majority of side content before I finished the game, and I finished the game at about 10 hours. So I'm guessing that main content might be closer to six hours. I could be wrong about that, but that's my gut feeling. Maybe even less than that. So I think they maybe vastly overestimated how long it would take for someone to get to the main story. The side content, I, I was able to complete by the end of the 12-hour mark. So, so you know, it was essentially 12 hours for all the actual add-on content, and I went out of my way to do the extra side content. Uh, I will say I did kind of cheat on one of the side contents. The second to last boss of the, the quest line uh, was surprisingly hard. And I knew I only had one more quest afterwards, so I was like, I'm not going to sit here and grind out for this single boss. So I turned on casual mode for that one boss fight and uh, just kind of blew through it and then turned it right back off and then went <laughs> and finished the game. Weirdly enough, the second to last boss is like 10 times harder than the actual final boss. I pretty much like rolled over the... the- the, the final boss of the side story content. The main final boss is, is also pretty easy, but I kind of expect that out of that game. So I pretty much did all the majority of the main content of the game. Am I missing some little bits here and there? Probably. Um, I, I, know I, didn't, I know I didn't completely fill out the collectopedia. I'm missing like two items, but I'm not going to go run around an area for, you know, two hours trying to find the two pickups that I was never able to find. So I think it's a really good piece of content to remember Xenoblade Chronicles by. What I mean by that is Xenoblade Chronicles is a really long game. And if you're going to play Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition after you've already played the original Xenoblade Chronicles... um, at least for me, that's kind of a waste of time. I'd rather go play other good Monolith Soft games than, than revisit this other one that I think is a, a cool and good Monolith Soft game and I think maybe the best made game they've done. But it's also maybe one of the more conservative Monolith Soft games too. Mechanically, it's a lot simpler than their other games. Um, there's still a lot going on maybe compared to other RPGs, but but it's a lot more streamlined um, and it's very accessible and easy to pick up. And I, I don't get a lot of... Like I enjoy the battle system, but I don't get that like that like excitement that I get out of like Botan Kaitos and, and Xenoguide Chronicles Two when you're when you're really like creating this massive chain of attacks that does a ton of damage. Xenoguide Chronicles kind of doesn't really have that, and they actually removed the chain attack feature and uh, and feature connected, and they replace it with something called like the No Pawn Specters. Which are these? It's actually really funny. There's like 12 nopon you can rescue in the world, and as you rescue them, they start following you around. So by the end of the game, if you have all 12 of them, they're just like a giant train of nopon behind you. And during battle, they're all like swarming the enemy, running around. <laughs> it's really funny and cute, and they, the attack animations for them are pretty fun too. But mechanically, it's not that. It's not interesting. It's 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 very simple. It's a simplification of the chain attack system. Um, it, it basically is is just a removal of the chain attack system for something a bit more more straightforward. That's just choose between a healing super, uh, a debuff super, or a um, attack-based super kind of thing. Um, so so in playing this content, what this really just did for me is kind of reinstate that, like, the game's original strengths to me. It's like, oh yeah, this is what's good about this game's battle system. This is what's good about these game's char- This game's characters. Um, something I think I, I see a lot of is that people don't like the characters in the Play Chronicles. And uh, I think that might have to do slightly with that. I think they're kind of subdued in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think they're maybe as extravagant as a lot of other games, a lot of other JRPGs. And I think for the time it made a lot of sense, honestly. Uh, I think the narrative around JRPGs from more mainstream media is that people generally didn't like the more... I don't want to say extravagant for the for regular JRPGs, but I think people kind of made fun of JRPG characters in a lot of way. So having some more grounded characters and and with more straightforward motivations and things like that, I think was pretty was was a smart move at the time. And I like the characters. I like Shulk as the main character. I like the decisions he makes throughout the story and kind of how he how he comes to or how he develops through that game. Um, he doesn't have quite the development as you might expect like a a normal jrpg character would but i think he he has a very level head in how he approaches things and uh and that kind of bleeds over into uh future connected uh when melia kind of takes takes the main role um she's got some questions she's asking but overall she's pretty level headed and she's making a lot of the right decisions talking to her friends about it things like that and it's maybe a little redundant in some cases where she's like um, kind of doubting herself in the same ways a couple times over. Uh, but, but for the, for the type of content it is, I think it's fine. Um, so I think it's a great way to revisit that game. And it's not worth the full $60 of buying Definitive Edition. Uh, but if you can ever get it cheaper than that, if they ever sell Future Connected on its own, I think it's like a great investment there. Or if you're just really desperate for all soft content, um, then, then I think it's it's a it's a good package there. But again, it's only 10 hours. So you weigh the fact that this game is a $60 video game. Uh, and if you're going to be ignoring Definitive Edition, then it's only 10 hours. I have no plans to play the the base game for Definitive Edition. I just would rather do other things. Um, but uh, what I will say, but the one thing I did do was uh, I I have a lot of cutscenes in Xenoblade Chronicles One that I really enjoy, and I kind of went back and looked at a lot of them and just kind of like took a look at, at, at how characters were portrayed because in some of the the, the lead up material to Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition coming out. Um, there's a lot of very stiff, uh, there's, there's a lot of questions around the character's facial animations. Uh, there's a lot of scenes where a character who had a, a a lot of emotion in their face in the original game, Uh, didn't didn't have that in the definitive edition version of the screenshot, and I I think I mentioned this on the podcast. I was thinking that that maybe had to do with you know when a screenshot was taken. Maybe it was just on not the same frame of animation of a cutscene, or maybe they reworked the dialogue, and so if they re-recorded a cutscene, maybe the character was having a different reaction. Um, but it doesn't. So the dialogue is all the same, and it's all all the same recording. Um and it seems like just the character faces just aren't as emotive. Um there's some scenes where somebody should be like shouting, and you know, in the original game they have a pretty intense anger in their face, where in this game it's just kind of like a slight anger. Um and it it, it kind of makes me wonder one of three things. Uh one, if it was a a technical uh limitation the faces are full polygon faces in this game, or in the original game, there's definitely a mix of polygon and textures, so maybe they already had more capabilities to mess with it uh i imagine more so than that though it probably was a budget issue if they didn't like you know w- had the money or time to to rework the faces to be as expressive or motive or it was a choice, and maybe they thought that those like, original expressive faces uh were too expressive, which I know I know Anthony if you're listening. I know how you feel about that. Uh, um, and I think I can see the argument of, you know, the original Wii game is a game that runs at 480p. It's a low resolution game. And there's there's probably good good reason for the characters who have overly animated facial expressions um, to to show off the, the, the emotion the character's having. And when you upscale a game to 720p in this case, um, you know, you get to see more of that detail um, even if a character's further off screen. Um, so you don't need to have as extreme of emotion. So I think I could see that argument. I think how I ultimately fall on the graphics of this game is it's pretty much just a choice. Um, it's not, you know, despite it being called definitive edition, there's trade-offs going on here. Um, in terms of, uh, the draw distance of shrubbery, it's, it's a lot shorter on the the switch, or at least it's a lot more noticeable on the switch, uh, where when you're walking, you just see stuff popping up in your face all the time. Uh, versus, um, like, uh, the original by Chronicles. It doesn't seem that way from what I saw, but, uh maybe, maybe I should, if I looked at the game running on Dolphin or something, it, it seemed that way. Um, I did see that they reworked some of the ground textures and stuff too. And some of them I thought looked worse, like specifically in like the Nopon jungle area, the dirt path looks like it has more definition in the Wii version of the game for some reason. Um, obviously, you know, the, the, resolution, you know, muddies it up a bit more. Um, but yeah, and, and, and then they have some areas in the game that they reduce the amount of shrubbery. And so it like makes the ground texture more noticeable, but the ground texture still don't look particularly good. Like a lot of texture work in definitive edition is still rough. Um, so, so it's like they made some weird choices about that. So I think it's kind of a back and forth. Um, and then obviously with the, with the facial expression. Or the faces you know you get more more you know more detailed faces i guess would be the the way to put it um you know as high as a higher polygon count you also have redesigned character faces they continue to try to get shulk right (laughs) there's i I would like to someday like make like a comparison chart of all the chart of all the shulks out there in the world (laughs) so they're still trying to figure out shulk and uh and so it is a new shulk again uh, I think most of the other characters generally stick to their original design. I don't really like how Ryan looks or Dunban. I think Melia looks okay. Um, and I think Charlotte looks okay too, with the exception of, like I said, with the um, more stiff uh, facial animations and things like that. That's probably what bothers me most is just, like, I was watching the ending cutscene of the game, and there's a lot of close-ups of the characters' faces, and they're, you know, making a lot of expressions while talking. and And it just seems really robotic compared to the Wii game. Um, I think, but again, I think I know that Wii game and, and I think if you'd never played that Wii game, uh, it probably wouldn't matter that much. Uh, although I will say even playing future connected, some of the character animations being mapped to those like higher polygon models, um, I'm pretty sure they're still accurate to the Wii's character animations, but they are a bit more stand out in how awkward they are at times with with the with the more detailed models, uh, especially if you start looking at it compared to like Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and how characters move in that game. Um so it's just a lot of inconsistent stuff going on. Um and and I think you just lose some stuff but you gain some stuff too. So it's really just a decision of how you want to play it. Um I always say that I'm not too upset about, you know, I don't particularly like the new character designs that's fine. I can always go play the game originally on, on a Wii, or if I want to play in HD, there's always the Dolphin, which thankfully is a very strong emulator and oh, strong, uh, uh, an emulator that seems very reliable and, and seems very, very easy to play games on if I, if I really wanted to. Uh, but again, I will not play the original Xenoblade Chronicles again. Future Connected was the right bit of, uh, content for me in revisiting that game and be like, I like this video game. This is a cool video game. I don't need to replay all of Definitive Edition for this. So, yeah. Anyways, so I'm going to go ahead and jump into the spoiler section here. If you don't want to hear Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Future Connected, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, and hey, let's throw in Xenoblade Chronicles X in there, even though I haven't beaten it. Uh, If you don't want to hear any Xenoblade spoilers, um, I will say you should go now. Uh, but, But thank you for coming this week if you have. Um, so to get into the Xenoblade Chronicles spoilers here. Um, so one of my biggest fears and part of, part of the reason I had that whole rant last week about uh, Monolith Soft games and I, I named that that podcast an overly sensitive Monolith Soft fan because when I was listening to it later, I'm like ah, I'm just all worked up about nothing. <laughs> um, you know, I think one thing I always have when a when a when a, a Monolith Soft game comes out right before release is that I have a lot of doubt. Um, sometimes that doubt's a bit more, uh, justified. Like in the case of Xenoblade Chronicles X, I think ultimately the fears I had about Xenoblade Chronicles X came true. Uh, but the stuff that was surrounding those fears and what that game ultimately ended up being, uh, made me appreciate it a bit more, even though I probably in the end don't really like what Xenoblade Chronicles X is as a whole. There are parts of that game I like, but I don't like it as a whole. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I was immensely worried and then that worked out perfectly fine. Um, well, for the most part. It's, it's kind of a mess, but in a mess in a way that I'm okay dealing with it. Um, um, so the, the real fear I had going into Future Connected was really, um, if you don't know, at the end of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, uh, there is basically this whole thing where they shove Xenoblade Chronicles 1 into it. So... Um, there's the this dude in a tower and what he is is actually a character from xenoblade chronicles one that was split in half so he has, has only like a half his body on screen and the other path's like a portal and and he's like oh this is the other half of the god that's in xenosaga or xenoblade chronicles one um which is you know the god is never portrayed in two halves in xenoblade blade one so it's a weird thing to have this this imagery of like hey here's half a god um and then so it's like my other half's in this other world but the other half in the other ro- world is full so <laughs> it's like it's not consistent um but whatever and uh, as far as i know they haven't like changed anything in definitive edition for that um and then there's this whole thing where there's a rip in uh, that you can or that 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 rip in space that uh, that that is half that guy's body has like shulk's voice coming out of it as as shulk is defeating zanza the 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 god guy of xenoblade chronicles one world and and it was like oh we're putting these things two together there's a computer system in xenoblade chronicles one that's called alvis and they're like in xenoblade chronicles two like oh he's actually a blade who escaped and traveled through space time and ended up in this other dimension And there's just a lot, of, a lot of weird stuff going on. Then they start bringing in, like, the conduit from Xenosaga and things like that, which is, like, this weird god symbol that teleports people in Xenosaga. I'm sure there's something about the conduit that I'm missing. But there's a lot of stuff in that game at the very end of the game that undermines what Xenos Blade Chronicles 2 was— it shoves all the stuff that was important to that game's story to the side and says, no, we're going to be bringing in the stuff Z- Xenoblade One." And it basically says, hey, the end of this game is Xenoblade Chronicles 1, which is really disappointing um, to me, at least. It's like, like, like this game should have its own ending. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be, the ending shouldn't just be, oh, Shulk's doing something. So, so Rex in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is really just kind of like on along for the ride. He like, at the end of the day, Rex kind of does nothing. <laughs> like his his it, it matters what he's doing but it doesn't matter in the context of of what the overall plot is in terms of like the world being reformed and all that that's what shulk's doing um and 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 it's kind of like you're on a timer to do something before shulk does what he's doing to basically uh, you know re- reform the world and things like that um and and so it's like this really weird thing where like all of a sudden they decide that this game is now connected into Xenoblade Chronicles 1 in a way it really doesn't feel like it should be and it's very much forced so in a way that's like these events did not occur in Xenoblade Chronicles 1 Um, and they're just like oh now they did so I don't know if in the base definitive edition if they've really accounted for that I know they updated Alvis's design to show his core crystal which if you don't know all blades in the game have these crystals on their um, their chest so in the case of Alvis he has that on I think like a necklace now uh, where before he just had a random key on his necklace because sure why not Um, there's maybe, there's probably some reasoning to it key to the new universe. I don't know. Um, so future connected is about a tear in space and time and, um, monsters coming through this tear in space and time, I guess you could say, uh, they're called the fog beasts or really the fog King comes from the, 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 the tear and, um, and, and that, and so, you know, seeing that terror in the time and space, it was just like, they're going to try to connect this to Xenoblade Chronicles too. Um, and I thought they were going to try to do it in, like, the most, like, ham-fisted way possible. And that's not to say they won't eventually get there. Um, but there is no mention of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 at the end of this game. It is, as far as I can tell, th- maybe the Fog King is referenced to something in Xenoblade Chronicles 1. I honestly can't remember. There's probably something in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, or the Fog King might be referenced to something in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I can't remember. Um... I'd have to go back and look at Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and see. I I think there's probably something in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 that that resembles the fog monsters or whatever. Um, But for all intents and purposes, it really doesn't make any kind of connection. There's no, you don't have Rex talking through a portal like, you know, in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, you had Shulk talking through a portal. You don't really have those direct connections. And I will say I'm super thankful for that. Um, You know, it just makes this expansion mean it can kind of stand on its own. Uh, Really, this expansion is all about Uh, fleshing out Melia and and giving Melia a future story and maybe it'll lead into how Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is connected I read an interview today where they're saying you know this content sets up the future of the Xenoblade Chronicles story um but it doesn't feel ham-fisted in the way that Xenoblade Chronicles 2 did Xenoblade Chronicles 2 felt like a game that was desperate to get some kind of connection to Xenoblade Chronicles 1 even though it didn't deserve it um or or not that it didn't deserve it but like the, the monolith didn't line up. It felt like it was a last minute decision, not a not built into the story from the beginning. It, it very much bothered me. Um so I'm very happy that that there was seemingly some restraint to not directly connect them in in such an easy way. Uh that's not to say Xenoblade Chronicles 3 won't end up doing that for me, but I'm really happy it didn't, you know, meet my worst fears of just cramming these two worlds together in the most ham-fisted way possible it really takes its time to respect uh chronicles one and focus on those story aspects that was important to those games and what was kind of left to talk about there rather than saying okay how do we get rex to shove his hand through this portal and be like hi i'm rex or something (laughs) something like that so i'm really i'm really glad about that um and and i i hope going forward um they'll continue to handle it smoothly Again, like I said last week, I'm not really a fan of what Xeno Saga tries to do or what Xeno Gears tries to get do. And seeing them pull a lot of that, not a lot, but like some of that stuff back into Xenoblade 2 was, was a little disappointing to me. Uh, and and how they basically crammed Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Um, but if they... You know, I hope they handle it well. Maybe, maybe this isn't so much that they handled it well, so much as they've pushed it off for a future date of when they have to (laughs) figure out how they handle it. But I'm glad that that wasn't today, at least. And uh, and this thing kind of stands on its own as like just some good extra content for Xenoblade Chronicles One. Anyways, thank you for listening to me rant. Um, that's probably all I'm going to talk about with Xenoblade Chronicles for a little bit here. Um, so because I I pretty much did everything I want to do with it. So. So, yeah, so we're going to get back to Xenomade Chronicles X, uh, sometime, but I think we'll play something else in between then. I'm not quite sure what yet. Uh, I do need to get back to Dragon Mark for death. I might ping Tim this week and see if I can, um, get some time with that. Um, I'm playing some more Alien Swarm as well. That's just taking a little bit of time. Um, and then I I do got to start editing this PCFX podcast as well, but I think I will, I think I will pick up something single player here in a little bit, um, and, and play that alongside some stuff. I don't want to do too much multiplayer stuff because I, I, am an introvert and I get burned out when I talk to too many people. (laughs) So I need to get better at like, uh, managing my time with other people and, and, and working out what, what that balance is. So yeah, we'll figure that out at some point. Um, but yeah, I'll let you know what I'm playing next. Uh, and then we'll get back to Xenoy Chronicles X at some point and I'll have nothing to say about it when I play it cool 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 thanks for coming onecontrollerboard.com is the website uh you know like i said earlier did that backwards compatibility podcast for the ps2 or not podcast uh video for the ps2 so if you want to go take a look at that you can do that on the website or on the youtube channel i am streaming uh monolith other action adventure game disaster day of crisis right now uh so every um thursday at 7 p.m i think there's probably like three or four more streams of that game it's not a very long game. It's about eight hours long and my stream's two and a half hours, you know, each week, so so we should be able to progress through it fairly quickly, I think, and, and move on. Haven't figured out what I'm going to do for the next uh, stream game. I might put up a poll on the on Twitter. Not that that whenever I put up a poll, I always reserve the right to choose whatever I want to do uh, because I'm selfish, and that's this whole website is whatever I want to do. <laughs> um, um, but I might get some other people's thoughts on on what they're interested in seeing next. Maybe not specific game names, but maybe some more general uh, things. So yeah, thank you for coming. Hope you have a great week. Bye.